If we were to take these 12 words of hope we've been considering this summer and read them aloud in the halls of Congress, can you imagine? Or in the Oval Office, to just stand in those places and read these words, family, freedom, unity, compassion, neighbor, prayer, forgiveness. Would these words sound simple-minded? As if we're glossing over the complexities of the world today, would they sound like cheap religious platitudes or bumper stickers? Or would our politicians dismiss us as lacking intelligence and depth and sophistication? As if to say, go back to the church and stay out of complicated world affairs. Would they say that? Hmm. These words that we've been considering this summer are no joke. They're not platitudes, nor are they wishful thinking. And if the world does not have these words, how will they resolve their complicated issues? These words are gifts from God to the human race. And the question is whether we will neglect them or not. They are grounded on the bedrock of who God is and who we are to become. And today the word of hope is abundance. Paul writes to the church in Corinth these words. The point is this. The one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. The word of the Lord. Well, the world has a problem with abundance. Some people don't have enough, and others have too much. Abundance can easily become a god. People worship abundance. They will sacrifice their life for abundance. They'll spend their lives trying to get it or trying to keep it. And if the goal in life, if the goal of all of life, the short little life you have, if the goal becomes to get more abundance, that's your goal, then the side effects can be self-indulgence, greed, fraud, theft, 
entitlement, pride, narcissism, classism, and a host of other social ills. People die over abundance. And wars are fought because of abundance. The world definitely, no question about it, has a problem with abundance or the lack of it. Now think about it. What do we do about the national debt we have? That's an abundance issue. Or what would be a fair and equitable tax reform? That's an abundance issue. How do we provide health care and education for all Americans? And what are our financial responsibilities to other countries beyond our boundaries? That's all abundance issues, all of it. What we do with our abundance is a matter of stewardship, which means we are managers of it. And the decisions we make about our abundance reflect our morals and our ethics. What we do with it reflects our morals and our ethics. And therein may lie the world's real problem with abundance because it is tied directly to our morals and to our ethics. If they are wrong, then our relationship with abundance is wrong. The scriptures are more concerned about your relationship with abundance than they are with how much you have or with any kind of formula you use to consider how much you give. It's not a sin in the Bible to have abundance. Abraham and Sarah were extremely wealthy. Very rich people. As was King David, as was Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, and many other people in the Bible. It's not a sin to have abundance, it's a sin to worship it. It's about your relationship with abundance. That's the real issue. Now Jesus asked the young rich ruler, for example, to divest himself of everything he owned in order to come into the kingdom. Now, give it all to the poor. That just seems harsh and, and unreasonable. And to our knowledge, Jesus never used that with anybody else but that young man. But apparently it was necessary for him because all that abundance was getting in his way of living his real life the life that God intended for him. And Jesus knew, unless you get that out of the way, you'll never get to the life God has for you. His relationship with abundance was wrong. You remember Zacchaeus? Uh, those of you who grew up in the church, Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. he climbed up in a sycamore tree to see what he could see. Y'all want to sing that? Um... Well, Zacchaeus, uh, don't let that song fool you. It's anything but a child's story. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. What that meant was he had other tax collectors working for him. He was chief tax collector. 
Those Jewish tax collectors went to their own people and extracted money from them to pay to Rome, the Roman Empire, that was the oppressor of the Jewish people. So to be a Jewish tax collector was at the bottom of the food chain. And Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, really at the bottom of the food chain. But he was extremely rich. When he comes down out of the tree, crawled up there to see Jesus walking through town, when he came down and had a conversation with Jesus, Zacchaeus voluntarily gave away half of everything he owned to the poor whom he had defrauded as a tax collector. So Jesus didn't give him the formula, give everything you have away to the poor. Jesus didn't say anything to him. And his response to God was, I need to pay restitution for all the people I've cheated. His relationship with his abundance was wrong. And he needed to get rid of it in order to live the life God intended him to live. In contrast, Lydia. Do you know who Lydia is? A woman who sold purple cloth in the, in the book of Acts. And to sell purple cloth is to sell a very, very expensive cloth. And so our guess is that Lydia was a prominent businesswoman in the Bible. Now, she's not known for giving anything away to anybody. I mean, there's no record of her giving half of what she had or all of what she had or anything. But she opened her home to Paul and the others to be a church. And that didn't sound like a big deal. Lydia's home was the first church in all of Europe. She had a right relationship with her abundance. She knew how to use it. And it reflected her morals and her ethics. See, churches don't usually talk about abundance until it's time to raise the church budget. And that's in October. And we know October's coming like we know NPR is going to have their fundraising time, those of us who listen to NPR. And when they get into their fundraising, I just change the channel and listen to rock and roll. (laughs) And I think people do that with the church. When we get into our October fundraising, people change the channel. And listen to the devil. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I've done 38 stewardship campaigns. 38 of these babies. And so we know what's coming. I know what's coming. Um, You know, we pack on some theology. We try this. We try that. We give you some financial information. And the whole goal is to... See if we can get people to be more generous for the causes of the church. And the budget becomes the target. Raise the budget. But the budget is the wrong target. The budget should be a byproduct of who we are. Truth be known, we should never have another stewardship campaign again, ever. That would be my deepest dream to where we just generously give out of our hearts and souls and no one has to, you know, do the gimmicks and 
try to motivate us. It's just always there. That would be the day I die, probably. But the scripture poses a broader definition of abundance than a church budget. The Bible never even says the word church budget. Nor is abundance in the Bible tagged to the accumulation of material goods. Jesus once said to the Pharisees, a very powerful sentence, listen to this. I came, now this is big, if Jesus is going to tell you why he came, why he was born of Mary, why he came to earth as son of God, son of man. He said, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. When Jesus talks about abundance, he's talking about life. The quality of one's life. It's a different definition of abundance than what the world has. And to a crowd gathered in Luke's gospel, Jesus said, take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For one's life, there's the word again, does not consist in the abundance of possessions. That's how the Bible talks about abundance. A totally different perspective than what the world has. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance so, not just to give you the abundance, so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. So you can't just read this stuff when you're trying to jack up a church budget. You can't make people feel guilty with these words in the Bible like you have too much, you ought to get rid of some of it. It's not a gimmick. It's an alternative lifestyle. It's not about fundraising. It's about life raising. It's countercultural to live like this. It's kingdom living. It's the biblical understanding of abundance that puts it in its proper place and empowers it for its proper use. We are no longer slaves to our abundance. I'm free from the money. I'm free from all the stuff. And we're free for that abundance to be used for the sake of the kingdom. Now the world needs this biblical understanding of abundance. It's not based on the Dow Jones closing Friday at 21,858.32 which was a little bit down. But it's possible to have abundant life while living in poverty. I was once in um, El Salvador, I think it was. And we were working on a habitat house for a, a, a family and the husband's name was Elvis, so I now know where Elvis is. He's in El Salvador. And we, uh, we were working hard, and during the day, uh, s- several of the children who were extremely poor in that area, they found uh, one of our um, soda cans. And um, they went over to a big pile of dirt 
and they began to play with that soda can on that pile of dirt with the greatest of all joy. They're the happiest kids I've ever seen. And they were literally dirt poor. And it struck all of us that here we are with all the stuff we have and even the money to pay our air flights to get over there was more than they could ever imagine. And they're playing with a Dr. Pepper can as if it were a gift from Santa. You know? It's possible in the Bible. In the Bible, maybe not in the world, but it's possible in the Bible to live an abundant life even in poverty. And here's the other kicker. It's also possible to be spiritually bankrupt with millions in the bank. It is. If the world were to embrace this biblical view of abundance, there'd be more peace in the world and less wars. If the Bible were to embrace the Christian and biblical understanding of abundance, there would be more generosity and less greed in the world. If the world were to embrace this understanding of abundance, there'd be more community and less division among all the classes in the world. Abundance can be a powerful word of hope. It's a gift from God to be used for God's glory and honor. Paul wrote, And God is able to provide you with every blessing and abundance, so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. Let us pray. Save us, O Lord, from mere lip service to our faith. And empower us to live out the morals and the ethics of your kingdom. In our scarcity and in our abundance, in times of peace and in times of turmoil, in our homes and in our work as your faithful disciples. And may our abundance become life-giving and life-changing for others. This we pray through Christ, the risen Lord, who came to give us all abundant life. Amen.